Welcome to the Girl Crush Podcast with me, Donna Pesci. I created this podcast to encourage, inspire, and empower women to dream big and live with purpose, passion, and joy. I'm fortunate enough to have interesting, authentic, and sometimes really funny conversations with amazing women who are just crushing it at life. You'll meet entrepreneurs, CEOs, healers, creators, artists, mystics, and moms. We'll talk about everything from the decisions that shape our lives to the moments that make us laugh out loud. We'll chat, we'll examine, we'll even gossip a little. I'm so glad you're here and I can't wait to hear what you think. Today we are speaking with Amy Nadine, a celebrity makeup artist who has worked with Lauren Conrad, Rachel Bilson, Kristen Ritter, Emmy Russum, Anna Paquin, Susan Sarandon, Richard Gere, George Clooney, Hugh Jackman, Denzel Washington, Paul McCartney, and many more. Her work has appeared on the covers of Glamour, Harper's Bazaar, Self, Women's Health, Cosmopolitan, In Style, and Teen Vogue, just to name a few. She was named Global Ambassador for Ish Cosmetics and has also created several beauty products under her own brand. In 2011, she launched the beauty department with Kristen S. and Lauren Conrad. Amy's work has been featured on movie posters for Casino Royale, Spider-Man 2 and 3, and High School Musical, and on commercials and campaigns for AT&T, Nike, Southwest Airlines, Skechers, and many more. In addition to all of these accomplishments in the beauty industry, Amy has recently gone back to school to earn her nursing degree, and she is also the mother of two beautiful boys. Thank you so much for being here, Amy. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much for having me. I love the girl crush. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. We love you. Um, so I have so much that I want to talk to you about, so much that I want to ask you, but I like to kind of start at the beginning. So tell me, when you were younger, did you envision a, 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 a career in the beauty industry or what did you want to be when you were? So it's, it, I wanted to be a marine biologist. I, I'm obsessed oh. with killer whales. I didn't even know makeup was uh, something you could have a career out of. But I know that I, I went to an all-girls school and I definitely did my makeup and hair for girls. Like uh, fashion was very important in the, in the in an all-girls school. But um, I, if I look back, there were signs. Like if I saw, I was obsessed with Elle magazine, 17, all the teen, um, but more the high fashion magazines. And I would try to, I'd get up two hours early and roller set my hair to put it in a ponytail so that I could wrap the rubber band with my hair, with the bobby pin. <laughs> Silly things though. I definitely enjoyed getting ready more. And then Kevin O'Conn's first book, The Power of Makeup, came out, I feel like in 94. And I didn't even know there was a career as a celebrity makeup artist. So that kind of set the seed. But I was already in school at my first round of college, getting my bachelor's of science in business with an administ uh, administration concentration. And I talked about leaving and going to cosmetology school. But my parents are, are like, uh, my mom didn't go to university. So it was really important to her that I got my four-year degree so and finished what I started. So I got my degree and kind of like, just didn't think about it anymore. And I was working in LA and then like a nine to six job, working for the weekend, working, um, you know, living road trip to road trip and not really loving what I did every day. 
and just thought, ooh, I might wake up and be 50 if I don't sit down and, and make a change now. So at 27, I made a list of the, my passions, which were NBA, basketball, politics, makeup. And I'm like, okay, how can I make a career out of one of these? And so I went around Burbank. There were some makeup schools for the film and fashion industries and um, liked a couple of them. And then I, I actually got off. I um, interviewed for and got hired for the LA Clippers in their marketing department. And then politics, I didn't go down that route. But I um, sat down like and one morning and just thought, I just want to try makeup. But, but I'm 27. I'm going to go to this makeup school. And everyone there was like 18 straight out of high school. And I, I was like, I'm just going to try this. And within the first like class, I was obsessed staying after class, trying to perfect my individual lashes and my cat eye and just knew like there's no plan B. I really want to go for this. And nobody wanted me on test day because I had freckles and I was 27 and, you know, probably had some wrinkles or whatever it was. They just were like, oh, Amy, my eyebrows are very puny. And all the 18-year-olds, you know, it, it was just like, it was a very interesting. But I'm actually the only one who made it from my class because I was, I think when you're older, you have more drive and determined. And when I was 18, I had to set my alarm for days of our lives at one o'clock because <laughs> I was upset that I slept through it. You know, so it's, I don't, it's not it's totally, it worked in my advantage to be older. Maybe I'm a late bloomer. So when I graduated, I went on Craigslist and looked for like uh, under crew listings, someone looking for a makeup artist for their um, student film or their indie film or whatever I could get set experience and make connections. I showed up for, I also called every makeup agency, makeup artist agency and said, can I get on your assistant list? And only one out of like 20 even threw me a bone, but that was enough to get me on set meeting people and I was always the first one there and um it got uh, there there was a time where uh they asked for me and not the makeup artist that I was assisting I don't know why it was just I I just think I had a um when something's organic and um something when you're just really passionate and it's meant to be things fall into place and so but I feel like the first uh, seven years, I was proving to myself that I wasn't a fraud, that I was as good as everybody else. And then like the second seven years, this is upon reflection, but I, I feel like I was trying to prove more to publicists that I was, I could go up to their A-listers, you know, like, and, and just proving to them. And then after like year 14 or so, I had nothing to prove to myself or to anybody else. And it just was such a nice groove to be in, which was uh, and then I can start checking off things on my bucket list as a makeup artist, which we can I get. Love into that. I love that. I love that. I love that you made a list of your passions. Yeah. And and those passions are really kind of all over the board. So I think that's really yeah, like, what, what do I love to do? And what could that I enjoy that would be really cool to get paid in something that I enjoy? Because then you feel like it wouldn't you um you wouldn't feel like you're working, like it's something you're passionate about. But then, of course, you learn there's a lot of aspects to any job and any career that's work, you know, schlepping up big makeup kits off to up two flights of stairs and, you know, being treated like a service. Or, I mean, it's a service that you're giving. And some people are very like uh, um, appreciate you and some don't. And you just kind of learn there's some ups and downs for every career. 
not all absolutely glamorous. and yeah exactly everything looks very glamorous on the outside um, and unless you're on the inside actually doing it so so you the first seven years were you at that point working on celebrities yes. and, and fashion so, and um, all of that yes so my in the beginning uh, I think my first celebrity was Polly Shore <laughs> I think. <laughs> I, I think the, I got the calls where uh, people didn't want to work on Polly Shore, but it's not very, you don't know, you're not doing a cat eye and a red lip. But I just remember I, I was like, made it known to this agency that I was on the assistant list. I'll take the jobs that maybe people aren't necessarily fighting over. I don't know the uh, nicest way to say that, but uh that was, I think that publicist liked me and I was professional and, you know, and he was lovely. But I remember it was like in the front seat of his car, you know, in Venice Beach, you know, for some ma indie magazine. But it was like, I, I treated it like it was George Clooney, you know, just to get my foot in the door. And then the publicist would maybe try me on the next person. You know, you just kind of work your way up earning their trust and, and doing a good job. My biggest break was... Um, Patrick Dempsey's wife, Jillian Dempsey, is a big makeup celebrity makeup yeah. artist. And uh, uh, she broke away from the agency that I was on the, the uh, assistant list for and started her own agency called Bardeen and um, brought me along and uh, had me taught me how to do her husband's hair, which, you know, it, it's a very curly spaghetti hair, but you it's, it's a whole process where you blow dry it straight then you make those waves with the straightening iron so it's like and she taught me how to do it and then because she was busy with Kate Winslet and everyone that she was working on and so he was supposed to start Grey's Anatomy and they pushed it from a fall start to a January start but then all so we were just doing all these pre-things and then Grey's Anatomy blew up and he became Dr. McDreamy and I all of a sudden had 11 covers of Dr. McDreamy. So publicists liked his hair and his grooming. That was all taught to me by his wife. It was so such an honor. And wow. then that's when I got like um, Nicole Perez, you know, tried me on Lawrence Fishburne and I did a good job. So then she put me on Denzel Washington and Mel Gibson. Like they just all kind of uh, started coming in, which is great. And I loved it, but I'm not a guy's girl. I'm a girl's girl. So I was, I, I can talk a little with men, but it's not like I'm, I want to, I like sports, but it's like, I'm, I read much rather be with girls, you know, I'm right. just, I want to do all the glamour and the red carpet. I love fashion. And when someone has a big ball gown, I want to do the makeup for it. I don't want to do the guy in the tux, you know, it's covering up a pimple or an under eye circle, that type of thing and making him not look like a newscaster. So I'm passionate about the no makeup makeup, you know, right. especially on men. But it was, I just was like, how do I get, I'm now like uh, pigeonholed as a men's groomer. Which I'm, I'm, you can have a whole career as a men's groomer, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. So then it was trying to get the, I, the publicist to try me on their girls and stop thinking of that way. And Nicole Perez had just signed Lauren Conrad and I hadn't watched the Hills or Laguna Beach, but my sister had, and my sister was like, she's my favorite. You have to do her. And I was like, okay. So, uh, I she's like if you can help her you know she didn't like the cat eye that the last girl uh, makeup artist did and and then I realized just have Lauren 
if Lauren was so particular about her cat, I have her do it herself. You know, so I would do everything, and then for the cat, I hand her a mirror and the the liner, and then she could do it exactly how she wanted it, and I would do the lashes and everything else. There's a lot of like there are a lot of uh, celebrities that like to do their own mascara or their own. You just and you just make it a team thing. Like check my ego at the door. By the end of the day, I just want her to feel comfortable and pretty. Because if you do, you you walk out on set like this instead of like this, you know, like right, I, I, right. I want to go wash off my makeup. You're just more like, OK, let's shoot. Yeah. Um, that Lauren Conrad started my uh, switch over into women. And then mm-hmm. uh, and at the time she blew up as a Nick girl. And then I got Rachel Bilson and uh, worked on Kate Bosworth and Kristen Ritter. And that, and then um, got very lucky with Susan Sarandon and who's like my soul sister, just on a like um, on a whole different spiritual level where we can nerd out about like the untethered soul by Michael Singer. And those when if I send her one of his chapters on audio, she listens to it within like that day. And then we can wow. nerd out and talk about it. Whereas if I send it to my husband or my friends, nobody even listens to it. <laughs> so you just sure. find special people that are on the same journey as you are. So that was very special for me and Susan. And it seems like you kind of have not only worked on these people, but like built relationships with a lot of them. I mean, I follow you on Instagram and I see a lot of that. And um, let's talk about that celebrity experience for a minute, because I've had my share of working with yeah. celebrities. and you know, I've learned a lot and I've learned never to have an expectation because, you know, I think the people that I was excited to meet or, you know, excited to, to work with were always like the worst. And then the people that I, you know, either had no expectation or was like, ah, you know, this person's going to be this or had some sort of preconceived notion were like the loveliest people ever. And, um, it seems to me that, you know, the people that you work on are not only, you know, you're, you're actually building relationships with them, which is a testament to you, obviously, and your personality and your authenticness, I think. Oh, thank you. I I would totally agree with you. I feel like the, the ones that have in their mind made it are the loveliest because they don't have anything to prove. And they're, they just seem to treat everybody from their assistant to the, gaffer to you know everybody on set like they're just with uh like they honor them you know in a way where you don't feel like a little person where the ones that are not happy with climbing that their own ladder and their own journey they're just terrible to everybody and you're like but why you didn't i mean doesn't you're they're just frustrated i guess and and so i would just through the years learn because of yolo and life is short. I don't want to be available for them. <laughs> so when they, I would just tell my agent, just pretend I'm not available when they call for me next time. And because I just, life is too short to be treated like um, without dignity, you know? Well, it's it's great that you know that. And it's great. I think that's a great lesson too, for people that are listening to, you know, kind of set those boundaries and protect yourself from, yes. you know, that kind of negative energy. Because other things will open up and then you can be around the Lauren Conrad's and the Susan Sarandon's and the people that you are so love lovely, their energy and they yeah. are so lovely. And it's funny. So you and I met years and years ago talking about Lauren Conrad um, on a job that I did with, that I secured Lauren Conrad and working for Hershey. And I remember one particular thing about this job is 
it was a quick in and out to New York. Um, and typically on those, you know, types of jobs, it's only like a one time, it was like an appearance. Um, we would hire makeup and hair locally because it was in New York. Um, and I do remember doing that negotiation and she was not coming without her makeup artist. She was not coming without you. And, um, (laughs) it's okay. (laughs) Go on. Um, but it was so funny because I do remember that. And then I remember being on the plane going to New York and I, again, I had never seen an episode of the Hills either, but I had put her you know, forward to the client for this job because I thought that she was really the right fit for it. And she absolutely was. And I remember thinking like, is she going to be like, what did I do? Is she going to be like a diva? Is she going to be like, what is going to go on? Like, I have no, no idea, you know, who she is going to be. And she is to this day, probably one of the loveliest celebrities that I've ever worked with. She was so professional and so wonderful. And you and I met on that job, like at I know, two in the morning in the, in the lobby of a hotel. <laughs> that was, we flew in on the red eye, which means we left LA at like 1130 PM. I think we got, we tried to sleep on the plane. She might've slept a little more than I did. And then we got there. Uh, there was a hair person that did her hair. I did her makeup. I think we were just running on fumes and we was at the Reese's Pieces and, uh, or I guess the Hershey store, or was it a Reese's store? store. No, I think it was the Hershey store. store in but it was Times Square. Square in Times Square, it was crazy and madness. And that's when I discovered strawberry whoppers, super random. And because I'd been up all night, I ate like a carton of them. <laughs> I felt so sick. But I never de- I, they were delicious. And But I remember, um, yeah, that that's it. Lauren, even on No Sleep, is the loveliest person. She's just, and she still is to this day. Very lucky to have been, um, Nicole put me with her. Yeah. That's such a nice, it's so great to hear. Um, and yeah, it was such a lovely surprise and she was great. And, um, and that was like so many years ago, too. Yeah, I, I feel like it was like remember. 16 years ago. It was, oh my God, it was 2007 or something. Oh, it was a long time. I can't believe you. Yes. I don't know how we stayed in touch all through the years or maybe we reconnected on something else. I think we for sure reconnected on social media uh, somehow, or maybe we worked on something else together, but I don't, I don't think so. But anyway, um, so you spent 14 years doing that and and so, as yeah, a, so for an agency, what, do you still work for an agency no, now? So, um, I left an agency just, um, my father was a sports agent and he, I grew up watching him do everything for his clients. He was like a, a one man show up against the William Morrises and stuff. And he was, it's all, it was mm-hmm. all figure skaters. He had from like Dorothy Hamill to Oksana Bayul and all the, the wow. different, uh, Olympic and world figure skating champions. And I watched him negotiate and I loved to sit in his room under his desk growing up and listen to him. He had like a sign over his desk. You don't get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. And so I was very excited to get an agent for myself. But unfortunately, uh, Jillian Dempsey, after like, I think a year or two, she was like, I don't have time to have an agency and and closed it. And then I kind of um, was searching for that agent that was like my father and um never really got there so i ended up representing myself most of my career and just negotiating for myself because i liked that the negotiating part of it because i felt like nobody 
would believe in me more than me. So I wasn't, it was easy to sell for myself. But um, then I had a priority shift after getting married, which we can get into if you, if, when you're ready to move on from the celebrity maker sure. about it. But I, but um, I forget exactly what your question was. But yes, I, uh, the agency thing was short lived for me. It was so more you started me. representing yourself. Yes, which I'm sure and I missed out on a lot of jobs. And I'm sure a lot of people won't. You know, there were publicists that only work with agencies where they wouldn't necessarily want to work with me. But I kept my website up to date. It was like before Instagram or Facebook. So it, I would promote myself with my website. I would get up in the morning and um, maybe reach out to uh, a publicist about something else just to kind of get back in there. You're like, oh, and a lot of times they'd write back, oh, by the way, are you available on Thursday? Because, you know, you're not in their lexicon and you just right. kind of pop in. And sometimes that would work or just uh, it's nicer. You could just be professional on set and, and work hard. And then that could be enough to help you get in the door. But sometimes they the publicist is fired and they get a new publicist who's like, oh, you got to use this glam squad, you know, and that type of thing. And so you're kind of at the mercy of the, that it's not a, I wouldn't say rat race, but it's just like, you have sure. to, you have to hustle, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And I think it's about, it's, it's definitely about the relationships that you build and being easy to work with and knowing, knowing your shit, you know, yeah. knowing what you're doing. Um, which is obviously a, a really big thing. And then it's also, I think on their end, the convenience, you know, that they, they want to obviously hire somebody who is good at their job, but also is easy to work with, is going right. to be, you know, professional and on time and, you know, all of those things. So, right. um, it's, it's crazy and, and great that you decided that you were going to kind of go out on your own and, and advocate for yourself because, that's hard when you're, right. you know, you're, you have, you want to go and have your craft and, and yeah. you know, concentrate on that. And really, um, the agent side of it or the booking side of it is a whole other thing, it's a which whole I know a little bit about. So, yeah. 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 I mean, and that's, I like, that's a whole job. A part of me loved the control because I knew, like, I'm giving away 15% or 20% of what, right. I, but a lot of the jobs I brought to the agency. I didn't like that feeling that they're taking 20%, but they're not bringing me in enough jobs to cover the 20% that I'm giving them. And so I would have a spreadsheet of like with two columns, jobs I got on myself by myself and jobs that they got me and decide like, does this make sense? And one of the agencies, the one of the biggest ones that I tried to get represented by, I made a mistake, I guess, of bringing the spreadsheet because when she called to tell me they were passing on me, she just said that spreadsheet, it just seemed like, I just like, you know, artists that just, you know, tell me where to go, what to do. It just seemed like, I think they thought, realized that I was way, I'd be too involved in like the, <laughs> in the money side of the, it all. And it turned them off. But for me, that's how, I, maybe because I had a business degree with an accounting concentration, I'm a numbers person. It just helped me to see where the money's going. And does this just make sense? financially for me to do like be with an agency. Absolutely. That's so great for you. Um so just a couple couple more questions on the celebrity realm and then we're going to we're switch gears a little bit. So you worked on so I didn't realize that as a makeup artist you do hair too like men's grooming and you so worked on some like men. amazing only okay. with men. Only with I men. went to school okay. for both, but I I okay. once I, uh, once we got to the Marcel iron that like turns around, I was like, okay, um, this is way, I'm not, well, I'm not that talented. 
So I, with men's grooming, I can cut men's hair, style men's hair, and do their no makeup makeup. But okay. once with women, it's always two. It's a separate. Oh. They've separated it, which is fine oh. because that is too many hats to wear. <laughs> yeah, that is a big job. The hair and the makeup to yeah. do this, all of it together would be too much. Yeah. Um, so how did it end up that you worked on Paul McCartney? Tell me that so, story because that's Paul so McCartney interesting. actually did come through the agency, the one okay. of the agencies that I was at. So that was, those are probably things I missed out on when I was by myself. But it was more for um, his new wife at the time, Nancy. And I think, okay. believe they're still together. And then um, doing her makeup and then doing Paul's as well since he was there like it was for his, he was doing a show at the staples center and she wanted her makeup done and then it was when she when i was done with her he came in the trailer and then i got to do his grooming and when i got the job i my sister was in town from new mexico and i was like do you want to be my assistant McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> And so uh, she was, and she was like eight months pregnant, and she came as my assistant and didn't, of course, know what to do. I'm like, wash this brush. <laughs> I love it. Clean this one. But he knew, oh my God, he was, talk about the loveliest. But he, but um, he could not, and that's why I was saying like the, the people who have made it to where, the, I don't want to use the term A-lister because that sounds weird, but the people who have made it in their... Um, with their own goals are just lovely humans. And he is super gracious and just uh, tr treated us like with dignity and respect. And it was, and so is, so did she, Nancy. I love nice. hearing that. I really, yes. I really love hearing that. Um, yeah. It's, it's so nice. Night, I was like, do you want to touch the hands that have touched Paul McCartney? <laughs> <laughs> Sir, Paul McCartney. <laughs> and that's probably the biggest on my highest on my list. As far as I'm concerned, yeah. Was that the person? Did you do you did you ever get nervous to work on on people? Or was, by that time, had you just felt like you were? By that time, they're all like me. Yeah, you know, like, right. I, I, to, to me, they all are um, just humans. But I, sure. there were I've had where publicists have uh, freaked me out. Where I'll get I'll be on my way there, and they'll be like, "Oh, by the way, don't make eye contact with him." And then I'm thinking, how do I do someone's makeup while I'm looking <laughs> right. direction and don't small talk and don't ask him any personal questions that you're, you're like, okay. So then you show up and, and they, and the guy is lovely and asking me personal questions, you know, and, and just, and I'm like, why did the publicist call me and say that? It's so weird. Yeah. Another, um, publicist that told me to not wear makeup, wear a moo moo and int introduce myself to the celebrity because his wife is super jealous. I know. And you're like, what? what? I'm driving there within a moo moo with no makeup on, introducing myself to someone I've met, known for years. And the wife and I hit it off and we're, I had had the best time. And I thought I could totally have makeup on right now. And, and, and this is so silly. Because the, the wife was, I know. So a lot of times things are just like Hollywood is crazy. You just kind oh of ride the wave and roll with it and drive home get, and have a laugh. You can't be too fast about it. Yeah, and it's so crazy. Like, see how stories happen and, and yeah. you know, and sometimes it, it comes from, like, a publicist. I mean, like, how crazy is that, you know? <laughs> I, know. I mean, it's, it's all so, crazy. so, so crazy. Um, 
So, I mean, you definitely have worked on, you know, on a lot of different celebrities, men, men, men and women. Um, have you had, obviously, I think you mentioned a little bit, you've had bad experiences. I won't ask you who they are, but like, right. tell me about, have you had, you know, what kind of bad experiences have you had? Um, one, one young man, uh, I, he was very mean to both the publicist and me, and it was a long press junket day. and neither of us wanted to have lunch with him because we wanted a break from him. So we're like, we'll be back in 45 minutes because uh, his room service had been delivered. And then when we came back, he had picked like 10 things on his face that weren't there. Like, I don't know, like, you know how sometimes you just start picking and, and uh, go down a rabbit hole. And next, so I came back and his face was very red and inflamed on all these he had beautiful skin. I don't understand what happened. Oh and he had God. to be on camera in five minutes. So I covered up the 10 spots, but I couldn't do anything about the inflammation. And he got up and looked in the mirror and said, and like hit my shoulder like this and said, F this shit, do your job. And wow. I was like, okay, I want to walk home. I want to walk out, but I can't do that to the publicist because that's not fair to her. So I just said, listen, this next shot is a wide shot, you and four other actors. So you're going to, it's not going to be any close-ups on you. I don't have a shot of cortisone to help with the inflammation. I've knocked out the redness. By the time you get your one single shot again, where it's a close-up, the inflammation should be down. And he was like, okay. And then just got up and left the room. But it was just like, ah, why? I don't know. Wow. So of course, I was never available for him again. But then I found out later he might have had a drug problem. So I know uh, some people on speed pick things that aren't there. I don't know. I'm not going yeah. to speculate, but I'm not going to work on him again. Yeah, I, that's actually I had a similar, um, not a similar experience because I wasn't working on the person, but I was working with the person. Um, and I was kind of excited to meet this person. And he just was so obnoxious. And in the green room, it was an award show and it was so obnoxious to everybody in the green room, like all of the other celebrities, all of the makeup artists and, and hair people. Um, and it was just so the worst. And then it came out, you know, a few years later that he had gone, you know, into rehab and he was an alcoholic and, you know, and so I think sometimes right. it's like those kind of demons, you know, behind the yeah. scenes are like, bringing it out and you're like oh okay that makes I know sense that's now. kind of what I I try not to judge think maybe right. who knows what his childhood was like and who knows what he's saying who knows right we all but have we our struggles be available anymore <laughs> <laughs> not my well, good for you <laughs> not my circus not my monkey <laughs> I just learned good that for right. you we have to protect ourselves right we have to protect yeah. our energy I feel yeah. like but most um, of the time, the experiences are not even cl anything like that. They're always yeah, happen. especially because right. I uh, I think they think she's in charge of making me look good, so I'm going to be nice to her. There might be a little element of that in there. I didn't. I never thought about it that way. Mm -hmm. But you're yeah, they kind of yeah. have to be nice to you, right? Yeah. You don't want the person that's <laughs> working on your face to to not yeah. like you. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's great. So. So then you did that for, you were in LA for 14 so years? in LA from, I was, I went to makeup school in 2003. I got okay. married in 2010, okay. right? Then in um, 2011, we started to build a, try to have a family. 
-hmm. and we struggle with infertility for the next five years while still doing makeup. And that once we finally became parents is when I had a priority shift and wanted a career change in my 40s. So if you don't mind, let's, yeah. can we talk a little bit about yeah. that? Because I know, I know you had a struggle um, and a journey, you know, with, with infertility um, and you were generous enough to share something that you had written um, with me, which was really beautiful um, about, you know, your, your whole experience with infertility. So are you willing, can we talk about yeah. that a little bit? And of course, of course. So I was 35 when I got married, 36 okay. when we started. So on the older spectrum of the egg cap, you know, <laughs> spectrum. And my husband was 45 when we got married. And, uh, so it was old eggs and old sperm. So our window <laughs> was very, very slim, but we still really wanted to experience being parents and we're, I was ready to be a mom. So you, you know, you try for a year just naturally, and it's just every month you get excited to a pregnancy test and you get 12 negative pregnancy tests. So it starts wearing on you. So then you go to a, a doctor and they try Clomid, you know, a, a fertility drug. And um, you go, you get like three rounds of that. And those made me crazy. Like, uh, they're very hard on women. <laughs> you just have great. Uh, I remember like driving in the left lane and fantasizing about crossing the yellow lines into traffic like they just wow. weren't, weren't great for me but they didn't work anyways and then uh we started trying um um IUIs where it's like a turkey baster type of thing in the doctor's okay. office where they take his sperm and spin put the spin out the the, the slow ones and put them in um uh a device like a cannula and when you're ovulating and then you wait, you get the negative pregnancy test. So we did like six of those and then wow. finally decided, okay, let's try IVF. And then that's like $30,000 if you want to do it with the genetic testing and, and different things. So the first two were uh, no genetic test. No, sorry. We're genetic testing. We spent the 30 grand and just two negative pregnancy tests. And then the second two, the doctor convinced us, don't do the genetic testing because that could damage the embryo. Just um, let's just do it the re uh, regular IVF way. And so we tried that and then got pregnant. But then one of the, the first pregnancy at um, seven weeks, there was a heartbeat, very exciting. And then at nine weeks, no heartbeat. And so then uh, we they tested it post and it was an extra seventh chromosome, which would have we would have never put that in had we done genetic testing and oh. so it's like this oh a, a struggle and so then you just want to get pregnant again so badly so then we put the next one in and there actually was nothing wrong with it genetically or, or sorry chrom chromosomally but there was like a, this rare one in 500,000 super rare where there was no stomach, no stomach or kidneys, and the legs were like mermaid fused, and so at 16 weeks, we just kept getting a second opinion and a third opinion because you're very attached to four months, and then finally, yeah. finally, I remember it was my husband's 50th birthday, and we had to find a doctor that could uh, terminate the pregnancy at 16 weeks because they said it'll never make it to. Uh, birth, but even if it did, it would probably die in a few hours. 
because wow. there's no stomach. There are all these missing organs. And it's just kind of IVF. It's a numbers game and you're playing God and you're it's you've donated your body to modern science and you're putting things together that wouldn't grow out in nature, you know, that but you're yeah. giving yourself these progesterone shots to keep the pregnancy. My body tried to pass it. And the doctor's like giving me more progesterone to, you know, not pass it because there's mm. a heartbeat, but there's no, you know, it's just the whole thing is a, is a, a journey that you grow from. And so finally at 16 weeks, we found a doctor and I remember my, we, it was like going to be in three days and it was my husband's 50th birthday and he just didn't expect a 50 not to be a dad and, you know, where he was in his life. And I remember asking the doctor, can I drink? at his birthday party and he's like not only can you i advise that you do (laughs) (laughs) through a lot so i remember that morning of the dnc i just was like i'm no this is my baby i don't want to do it and you find something a strength you didn't know you had and you and, and my husband really helped me get through that one and you learn how to let go of things that don't belong to you. And, and in that way, in that sense, that's a gift that I take the rest of my life where I don't cling to anything anymore. I ride the wave, see what happens, you know, just trust in in the universe and in nature and that everything's meant. If you, My sister said to me, if you don't quit, you'll become a, the mom you're meant to be. So just don't quit. So we, I wanted to move on to the adoption side of things. And my husband is very French and very unfiltered and very honest. And he was like, I just feel like at two o'clock in the morning if the baby's crying and I'll be like, it's not my baby. It's not my problem. (laughs) And I remember saying that to Susan Sarandon and she was like, you don't even want to get up when it is your biological baby. (laughs) You just, it's never gonna be like oh it's two o'clock let me just get up and change that diaper so I told him that and so he was like so we made a deal that I would we would do two more rounds like another cycle of IVF which financially we were getting super in debt and I said I will do it my body my body's exhausted but I will do it if at the same time we start the adoption journey because I know that can take years and so that if we end up the IVF doesn't work, at least we are already into the get, getting the wheel going on adoption. So that was our deal. So for the last IVF, they doctor took the sperm directly from his testicles, like because the premise is, this is very graphic, but the sperm that you ejaculate today was made three months ago. And in three, really? three months, yes, in those three months, you could be in a hot tub or you could go out cycling or you could drink alcohol like things that are not great for those so if we take it directly from there we will have a better chance so my poor husband i think they left a stitch in him or something it was not fun but that that those that those two cycles did not work and i'm so happy they were because we became the parents of the children that were supposed to through adoption wow. and adoption is a whole nother uh journey of highs and lows and roller coaster. We, uh, you know, in LA, a lot of the attorneys wanted $80,000 and I, we were already in debt. And I was sad on the phone with my mother who lived in Florida. And I'm like, she's like, you know, I live across the street from this home that takes in pregnant 16 year old girls and, and helps them 
keep their babies. And I was like, can you find out if they decide not to keep their babies, like what attorney they use? I'm just, you know, because it's not, it's not for every, a lot of people have a choice to, to place their child for adoption. And so she called me back and she's like, it's this woman and uh, here's her number. So I called her and the, the LA people felt like a car salesman, you know, is like a business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I asked her, like, how do you find your birth mothers? And she's like, I roll up my sleeves and go to the women's shelters and help them get their GEDs and help them, you know, turn their lives around. Oh. And, and I have a relationship with them. And, and I was like, this is where do I sign? And it was it was much more affordable. So we signed. And then we had a failed adoption where the biological uh, pregnant mother dumped us for a family that gave her more money and I guess that can happen and and that was very heartbreaking but I had to keep riding the wave and not cling but unfortunately for whatever reason I let myself get attached because it wasn't me going through it 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 felt more like it was it could happen and so then it was a reminder stop clinging to things just ride the wave that wasn't your baby just keep but going. That's not easy. That's not oh, easy to do. I can't even imagine. I mean, it, you can tell yourself, you know, at to a certain point, but you, you can't help with when you're going through I that. Know. I'm sure what your heart feels. Yes, yeah, you're. You're. You, it definitely felt like a big kick me down type of, mo- of moment. But I, my husband and I, got so close through all this because we we just had each other, so yeah. that helped a lot. So then we got a call that uh, a woman was matched with another family and she got dumped when a biracial baby uh, girl came became available. And she was pregnant with a full African-American boy. And a lot of people in Florida have a racial bias and uh, for uh, what unfortunately. And we had told our attorney we were open to any gender, any race, whatever the universe sends us, mm-hmm. we will love and and help and protect fiercely. And so she said this, um, she's freaking out because she's due in two weeks. I know that you just have, uh, just felt meant to be. So we sent her a profile. She was like, great, because most people didn't pick our profile because I was 41 at the time. My husband was 51. These girls are 16. Their mothers are 32. They think we have canes. Well, where's this? Yeah. You know, right. they just like pass on these old people. And so uh, we were like, give her a profile and see if she says okay. And she was like, great. And then she gave birth three days later. Oh and my God. husband, this is a great Susan Sarandon story because my husband, I was with Susan in Las Vegas. She was getting an icon award. My husband, it was like, 10 at night. My husband had just landed from JFK back in LA, exhausted. And I called him and I'm like, you remember that uh, new woman we're matched with? She's, she gave birth tonight. And the, the, the attorney's like, if you don't want to get on a plane tonight, she's probably not going to place this baby for adoption or she's going to pick somebody else or the baby will go into foster system. And so I'm like, and my husband was just like, no, uh, no, I'm exhausted. This is not our baby. It's not meant to be. This is not the right time. I just landed from New York. You're in Las Vegas. It's just Pat. We'll keep moving on. And I was like, oh. 
So I turned to Susan and I told her what my husband said. And I'm like, what should I do? And she's like, oh, you're getting on that plane right now. And you're going to see if that's your baby. So I flew by myself to Florida. They have 70, the birth mother has 72 hours to decide if she's going to go through with the placement. And it's very, a very long, uh, nerve wracking 72 hours. But I actually love that time I got with her and give bonding and really getting to know her and getting to, and that was my baby. And she uh, placed him for adoption with us. And then my, my husband was going to get on a plane, but the, the judge art signed my release to go back to California. So I flew home with my baby and my husband met him there. Oh my gosh. Oh, what yeah. a roller incredible, incredible story. Yeah. And how, so how, from the time that you kind of started trying to get pregnant to the time that you adopted your first son, how long was that? that Five years. Five wow. Years. I know. Wow. Long time. And it, you get to where you're, you're, you, you don't want to become unglued. You're, t- you ha- you're putting on your best face, but you you know, the tears are right there. Or right. the feeling that like slumpiness is right there, but you're you ha- you want to show up and not dump that on on your client in the trailer. So you're just yeah. like keeping it together, keeping it together. Please don't ask me if I'm pregnant. Please don't ask me. You know, all, you're just like trying to get. I just feel for women going through infertility because it's just it becomes all consuming, but you don't want. But you're just ready to be a mom, and and right. you're, you started late, and your science is not on your side. <laughs> you know, nature, everything is against you. But if I tell people what my sister said, like if you don't quit, you'll become the mom. And I know a lot of people who quit, and then they later on in their fifties are like, oh, I guess I, I kind of wish. Well, you know, and what do you do then? You just have to go with it. But in right. our case, we did not quit. And then I told our adoption attorney, since nobody picked our profile because of our age for so long, please go ahead and put it back out there now because I really want to. My dream was always to have two, <laughs> two close together. My sister and I are 12 months apart. I wanted my babies super close together. And I knew we were getting older. Like So let, like start looking now. And we got matched with an awesome girl and she uh, placed with us 10 months later. So we are 10 months apart and just pinch myself all the time. They are way cuter and more amazing than anything we could have created ourselves. We just uh, are constantly feeling like we won the lottery in life because we all worked out the way it was meant to work out. Wow, absolutely. And congratulations on that. I'm so I'm I'm so happy and I see on social media the pictures of your boys and you they just look so happy and oh uh, so I'm I'm happy for you for that. But what an experience and what a journey. And it seems like there's so much to in both of those things in infertility going through infertility and then also in adoption so much to navigate through. Like how did yeah. you you know because that's not something that you can like take a class on like how did you how did you navigate through that did you have people that that had been through it before that helped you yeah. like how did you know how to do it so um i feel like one of the best things in life with may it be your career any kind of thing you're anything you have a drive and you're working towards is to talk about it with people because a lot of people are like i know this one couple that adopted here's their number. And then next thing you know, you're going to lunch with them. And so when, when, then when people are talking about it, they're interested in adoption, I'm like, do you want to go to lunch with my husband for me? Cause I want to pay it forward with the, because my husband had a lot of very honest, unapologetic questions mm-hmm. like, um, 
if you have like I remember he someone had a biological baby and an adopted baby and he's like if there was a fire who would you choose I mean it's such a weird guy question and the father was like I couldn't they're both my they're both my children like you can't choose between your children it doesn't matter if they have your DNA or not they're your children and my husband was like interesting interesting (laughs) so like you just it's kind of nice to just uh, go find a safe place where you can ask, uh, like, there are no bad questions. You just uh, ask them from your heart and people are very honest. Absolutely. And that's such, I mean, the, the questions that your husband is asking, you know, people have those questions. I, I, I absolutely, um, you know, yeah. I mean, he's not alone in that. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it's funny and it's, and it's, you know, but he's not alone in that. And I'm sure that, you know, many people have those, those types of questions and you almost feel like, can I ask that? Like, who would I ask now? Can I say that out loud? Like, can I, but, but it's, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's something that is actually true. You don't know how you're going to feel. It's not, you know, until you actually do it. If you, if you ever meet my husband, you will have such a giggle because he is the poster child for a da- adoptive father. He thinks everyone should adopt. It's the best thing that happened to him. Those are my babies. They're my life. I mean, everything I do is for my babies. He's just obsessed with them. And then we don't have our DNA. And he actually says it's, uh, he's found it easier to parent where he's less critical. He has like, you know, um, an internalized mother voice from a very critical French mother. And he doesn't find, I, he said, I feel like if they had my DNA and I felt like they were from their, their issues were from me or their faults or what they lack were from me, I would, you know, be super critical and like almost projecting what he feels about himself onto them. But because they wow. are not, don't have any of our DNA, he doesn't, project anything onto them he can just love them and help them grow and it's very he's it worked out the way it was supposed to wow that's an interesting um that's an interesting take on that but it Mm -hmm. it actually makes sense you know because you do sometimes you see things in your in your child or in your mother or your you know your parents Mm -hmm. and you're like oh that's, that's for me i don't want them to have that yes and so i was hoping that would not transfer over and it's yeah. and it's worse than you than it was in me or, you know you have that so that's that's actually an interesting perspective yeah. so and then for me the biggest thing that came out of adoption is maybe because it was five years of wanting so much but the priority shift that happened within me one bec- live in the land of gratitude i can see it every time i go and open their door to change your diaper or wake them up from a nap i just stop and l- i don't know what it is this feeling of like thank you i don't know who i'm saying thank you to is it you know but it's just this feeling of like i can't believe this is my life i can't believe i get to go in and be with these babies and snuggle them and change their diapers and you know hug them when they fall down it's just i'm just in this and it i feel it and like when i'm in the bathtub like thank you for this hot water so many people don't have hot water. Like it's become this gratitude world that I'm in. Yeah. That I maybe I because that. I did everything that I wanted for myself in my 20s and my 30s. And so at 41, I was ready to have a new purpose and live for somebody else. I don't feel any like, I don't, I didn't get to do it. I feel like I did everything as an older mom. Now I can just enjoy and, and be so feel so lucky that I get to be these boys' mama. And then that's what triggered me getting out of makeup. 
if you want to go into that chapter. Yeah. So tell me, how did that, um, obviously it was a priority shift for you, but tell me how you came to that. I was on set for a magazine cover shoot. And if you know me, magazines were my everything. I remember when Lauren was on the cover of Entertainment Weekly. It was a close up. She had a camera. I'll send it to you. And it's like I did bottom individual lashes. And I just was so obsessed with that shoot. Art Stryber shot it. I thought it was so beautiful that when I went and picked it up from the newsstand, I put it by my bed, went to sleep, woke up in the middle of the night, turned on the light just to stare at it, hold it oh, in my hand and stare at every lash and everything at the way that the whole thing came together. I, I love a magazine cover shoot. So here I am on this magazine cover shoot and I'm watching the Nest Cam on my phone the whole time, watching the nanny go in and change the diaper and being like, I want to change that diaper and watch and being like, oh, I don't I I've done 84 cover magazine cover shoots. I want to be changing that diaper. It was like this interesting thing that happened. And at the same time, I uh, an agent had reached out to me to possibly represent me. And I went and met with him and he kind of. was asking me what photographers I work with and what celebrities I work with and kind of without saying so was saying I was kind of a has-been, which I was like, okay, I can take constructive criticism. And and in his eyes, I should go out and wine and dine publicists and really, and he said, just kind of wow me and show me what you can do on your own for six months. And then I will sign you. And the thought with these two babies and of wine going out and winding dining publicists who, you know, now the, the publicists I came up with now their assistants are publicists. And he wanted me to like sign the new 21 year old it girls. And I didn't really feel like they would vibe with me, you know, cause Susan Sarandon and I are talking about podcast of, <laughs> of like untethered soul. And that's like really fun for me. I don't want to, I feel like they're going to vibe with me. I'm not going to vibe with them. I just had yeah. this moment of, I don't really, I left there like, I don't really want to do that. And my sister lived in Corrales, New Mexico, a small village of 9,000 people. We had come into money in 2010 and bought an investment home here, but couldn't really figure out how to make a living here. But all of a sudden she has two boys and I'm thinking our our house is 1.6 miles from her. We could raise our boys together but I'm only I'm only crafted as a makeup artist. I don't if I move to New Mexico, the film industry is big there. But then uh, that's 14 hour days. A, ba- a nanny's going to be raising my babies as well. In L.A., we could never afford to buy. We always rented like it's just more uh, you, you don't get as much bang for your buck in a big city like L.A. or New York. Mm-hmm. And at 40 uh, now, it's like 40 I'm 43 fighting for a parking space at the grocery store, following someone to their car and someone gets to it first. And, you know, it's like you're tired, you're wrong. And you're just like the big city stuff that I loved in my 20s and 30s. I'm not really loving as a mom at 43. And so I had taken a lot of my clients or a few of my clients to get their first Botox and fillers. And because I noticed when they had like creases here and I would have to step in, yell cut a lot and get rid of those creases with a sponge mm-hmm. that if they just got a little neuromodulator neurotoxin right there they those 11s would go away and and if selfishly as a makeup artist i was t- i didn't want to keep 
going in and getting the Christmas out. <laughs> so I'd be like, next Wednesday, you're coming with me for a little baby bow. And so, and, the, and it was back when no one talked about it. It was very, very hush hush, but I took a lot of them and they loved it. And so it was always a bone structure has always been a passion of mine. And so I just thought I could, I know this is crazy. My husband's like, no, please don't. I'm like, I could go to nursing school. <laughs> I have a 16 month old and a six month old. But I could go to nursing school and become a nurse injector. And that could be something I could do in New Mexico, you know, work part time a few days a week and doing something I actually love. It's not like, oh, I, I don't I'm working for the weekend again, because now my personality is I, I want to only look for careers and jobs that I love or past things, that, subjects that I love. And so I did it. I signed up for the community college here in New Mexico because I already had my bachelor's. So I just really needed the associate's degree to take the NCLEX. And mm-hmm. uh, I cried a lot. I would put my kids down for their at seven o'clock to go to bed. And then I would want to go to bed. But instead, I'm sitting at the desk writing a care plan or reading about, you know, second degree heart um blocks and things that I'm interested in. They're like, it's eight years of medical school and a year and a half. And I'm like, why? I don't know. Medical stuff in a year and a half. I just want to learn facial muscles and structure. But I had to do all of it. And I, I think I was so driven to not be in LA anymore and to live in this small village. I grew up in Washington, DC, which was big city, a lot of cars, a lot of people. For 18 years. Then I grew up in, and then I lived in LA for 25 years, which is a mm-hmm. big city, a lot of people, a lot of cars. And I just, at 43 with two littles, I don't want to fight for a parking space at the grocery store. I just wanted to make things easier and go to a small village. And so I think that's what, even though I wanted to go to bed, I would sit down and write the care plan. And I wow. graduated and it t- and then COVID happened. It took me longer than a year and a half. It took me almost four years, but I was like, don't quit, don't quit. You've come so far. It, you would like three years ago, you would give anything to be as far and level four, like just remind yourself you're in level four. You got this, like you can do this. And then um, I took the NCLEX and failed it. I'm the worst test taker and it's all multiple choice and there are two right answers but one's a little more right and i would always take oh. the less right answer because <laughs> i i just no i'm not a great test taker so then you want to quit and you're like no you, so sit down and so i would do like 85 practice questions in the morning and 85 at night and just like i'm going to pass this thing and then i i passed and no medical spa would hire me because i had no injection experience so then I worked the I had done my preceptorship in an ICU and for the six weeks and loved it. It was an eight bed unit with four nurses and they were all badasses and I looked up to them all and I was like, will you guys hire me while I'm getting my injector experience? So I worked three twelves, three twelve hour shifts for a year in the ICU with these incredible oh people. Gosh. And it was all through Omicron. And I think it was the best training as a nurse injector because it was so high stakes. You learn to be Tammy triple checker. You learn to um, that you don't want to kill somebody. You don't want to lose your license. So everything is very thought through and you just are very meticulous and you slow down Mm -hmm. and you don't you're not reckless and you 
and you don't kill anybody. <laughs> so I think that that part, like even now I'm not in the ICU, but the ICU is always in me because when when you're doing filler, you don't, if you inject filler into a vein, you get a, a, a vascular occlusion, which ends up in necrosis. Someone's been blinded by Botox and, you know, up here in an optic nerve. So every yeah. single thing I do, I use the vein viewer, check it. I, you know, try, I make sure I know the anatomy and I just got to do my first cadaver lab, which was the coolest thing ever. So I take it very seriously and I love it. I saw that, that you were in Las Vegas for that. Yeah. What, what is that exactly? Because I, so, I, I can geek out on that kind of stuff. I'm not okay. squeamish at all. I actually love it. So I guess like trigger warning to anybody who's yeah. a little squeamish, but like, tell me what that is. Cause I, I, I need to know more information about that. It's the coolest thing. It, you, it's a head in a, in a tub. <laughs> so, you, so somebody, people donate their bodies to science and their organs go to people that need, you know, to save their lives. But there some people's heads end up get donated to beauty. So we, I got a 75-year-old man, and I gave him the prettiest cheekbones you've ever seen. <laughs> the first two hours, uh, you dissect. You know where major arteries are that you want to avoid. And so, like, we do things and find the antigonial notch, and we mark it. But now we could find it, mark it, and then peel back the layers of the skin and see if that's really where the artery is. And every single wow. time it is. So like if you draw a midline here and and measure out two centimeters and 2.9 centimeters and then peel back the skin every single time, those are where major veins are that you want to avoid. Mm. So there's you learn a lot when you, you can never unsee what you see when you peel back and, and all the different yeah. layers. And so now, I mean, before when you were just like sticking needles in and injecting in the dark, now I can picture the the fat pad and where the muscle is and how they work together because I've gone in there with my hands and felt around. And then the second two hours, we injected actual um, fillers that I, I use and love in the, the way that I would mark a patient. And then we peel back and see where it actually ended up and mm -hmm. how it visually it, it lands and how it lies. And, and it's, it was the coolest thing. It's forever changed me as an injector. Now, is that something that you have to do? Was that like required or that's something that no, you just did? Or I got very wanted lucky. to do that. Wow. Everyone wants to, a lot, most people want to do it. And I got very lucky. Well, you can spend a lot of money, like $5,000 to sign up for one. I got very lucky because uh, this, uh, I use this one filler radius a lot, which is a biostimulatory. I like fillers that make your body make its own collagen and elastin instead of just mm -hmm. filling. I don't like the filler face stuffed turkey. I like lift without filling, if that makes sense. Yeah, and so because I have been very vocal about how much I and use this and switching a lot of people to it, they picked two people from every state to fly that, you know, to put to sponsor them for the cadaver lab. So I didn't have to oh, pay wow. for it. Yeah. And I have a very supportive medical spa owner who's all about training and education. So she was like, absolutely. What do you need? So I got to go more. That's amazing. And we're definitely going to have to have a little talk offline about a few things because I have some questions. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I like, uh, it's very similar to my makeup. I don't like it to be the, I didn't, I never wanted someone to walk out on the red carpet and they think, oh, she's got a lot going on with her makeup. Like, I almost don't want them to notice the makeup. I just want to think, mm -hmm. wow, she looks gorgeous. But the makeup's kind of a ghost. You're accentuating and defining things, making them look like themselves, but like the prettiest version where you don't even, the makeup is not, the key player. It's the whole gown and the hair and the everything together. It's not like 
crease, you know, all these stripes on the faces and all the, you know, I love drag queen makeup on men. I think it's the coolest art firm and form. I have such respect for it, but I don't like it on women. So the last, like when the pendulum started swinging that way, it was very hard for me because I we're not covering up whiskers. You don't have to, you know, be so heavy handed and right. have all these stripes on your face. And so now I think it's finally swinging back to my my pendulum. But the same thing with fillers and Botox. I don't want anyone to think, oh, that's some filler face there. Like, I don't right. want them to know. Like, I started tw- Radius in 2015 just to lift things up that I want lift from, not to, like, change my face, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I, I that it's um, been such a joy. Like, I can tell I'm really passionate because when I put my kids down, I'm on in bed with watching YouTube of doctors in London and doctors in, in Brazil and just watching their technique and what they're doing and, and what I just, it's my new favorite thing. I, I love myself it. that I made it happen and that I, I'm getting to do something else I love. And absolutely for people out there who want to go back to school at 43, your brain will hurt for the first semester because it's a muscle I had not used in memorizing muscle had not been used in 20 years, period. So like when I sit down to retain something and find my I just it I cried. It was very hard to get that muscle back working again. It's but it's you it's kind of cool at the same time because, you know, you're keeping your brain young, you know, you're working your brain again in, in ways that you haven't in a long time. And I think it's I, maybe it's 60. I'll try a new something. Like, I don't <laughs> think you have to just like stay in the same uh, pocket your whole life. I think it's great to expand out and explore other things and your brain's going to hurt. But you got to if you really have the drive and want to do it, you'll, you'll make it happen. I love that. And it's it's not easy to do um, to start something new. You know, I'm I'm I've done that, too. I'm doing it now. And I think that there's a lot of people out there that think about it and they think it's too hard. I'm too old. You know, this is what I know. And I, you know, I don't want to do something new. So I think it's your story is really going to be very relatable to a lot of people and and also inspirational because you actually did it, you know, and and you did all of these things while you were raising a family and or or trying for a family and then and then raising a family. So so now you have moved to New Mexico okay. and you're there and that's where the spot is that you. Yes. What I get to. Yes. That's amazing. And then do you, st- are you still doing makeup at all? No, are you still I doing was, jobs? Um, I was flying through makeup school. I'm sorry, through nursing school to, to afford to live and, you know, be, pull my weight. I was flying to LA once a month or once every other month and working just so that I could have income. And, then I continue to do it through the ICU and like um, maybe every other month, just the bigger jobs that are you know, very hard to pass up. And then when I'm there, it's fun. You know, we, I've known these people for 15 years. So we're catching up about our babies and our life. And it's fun. Like, And I still love makeup artistry. But um, now the strike happened. So I had a press tour cancel and one of a campaign that I'd done for 13 years uh, went away, not not because that they're using a different makeup artist, but they just decided to shoot influencers instead. I know like the the world is changing and I'm not freaking out. And it's the best feeling because um, I was probably being aged out 
And, you know, I wasn't getting the new 20-year-olds coming up. A lot of people, my clients, you know, have families now and work less. And I'm not feeling this, oh, my God, how am I going to pay my big L.A. rent? You know, my mortgage is now half of what my rent was. Yeah. Which is, I mean, you just get so much bang, more bang for your buck in a small town that's not a big city. And I'm, and I know now I, I can make a great living doing when I'm doing something I love and I don't have to get on a plane and, and worry, are they going to stop hiring me? Or, you know, are they going to try any makeup artist? Cause I'm not, I can't fly in or whatever it is. It's, it's, sure. it's a big sigh of relief because when you've been hustling for 20 years, you say yes to everything you're available. You know, you try to like, not the mean guys, but you try to be there and so that they don't forget about you and move on. Right. Right. And now I don't, I don't, I can't, I don't have to feel that uh, feeling anymore. Now I know I can, I have a solid, secure job here and it's something I love. I love driving there. I love looking at who my patients are for the day. Oh, I'm doing a Morpheus 8 today. Or, oh, I'm doing fun lips today or whatever it is. It's, it's very fun for me. That's amazing. Well, you made a, a nice transition, it sounds like, into, you know, this this new life and this new role and this new area. Do you love it? Do you ever do you ever think like it. do you ever miss LA? Do you ever say no? No, right? I feel like I where I live now would have been a death sentence for me in my twenties and thirties, because it's like a village of eight thousand yeah. people. But now L.A. would be a death sentence for me because I, you know, I like owning my own home. I didn't like when you settle in and three months later, the landlord calls my sister-in-law's redoing her kitchen. So you need to move out for six months, but you can come back. And you're like, can I? Or like every year they would raise our rent. And it's just like it's, it's you at a certain age. It's really nice to own my own home and not have some feel like someone's gonna make me move again I don't it's moving is 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 exhausting so that my sister is one and a half miles away she just went through a year of triple negative breast cancer so it was really it felt good to be here because I think I'd freak out if I was far away while she was going through that and so um it just feels very much to me my husband you know when he first moved here he's in such a big city Frenchman where he's like this is a third world country nobody shows up on time you know he's just like oh he's so French and so he um he ended up finding his dream job he uh, he loves wine and there's a a wine was actually the first made in New Mexico the first grapes came over from Spain here and were grown here and there's a winery here that we've always gone to and he's always said this is the only excellent wine in New Mexico everything else is sweet and then cut to they uh they we heard that they were looking for a CEO and my husband applied and got it so he's getting to run a a winery so I have a happy husband who's pinching himself loving driving to work and I've been with him since 2001 on and off so I've been with him when he's been in between jobs and all the highs and lows of what it's really nice to have a happy husband who loves what he's doing Absolutely. It was just just like the universe has just kind of everything is kind of aligned. And, you know, well, you certainly earned it and you certainly, you know, worked hard to get where you are. And I just love your energy and I could talk to you all day, but I don't want to keep you. I know that this this has been a while, but um, thank you so much for sharing your story (laughs) and talking to me. This was just so great. Um, And I hope that I hope that you'll come back again because I really enjoyed this conversation. 
Uh, thank you so much for having me. I feel very honored. And if uh, I if I helped anybody out there, just you can do it. It's never too late to change your career or add another uh, degree to your arsenal. Just um, I just feel like uh, uh, girls inspire other like we just girl power. Girls can do anything. We can all do anything. I and honestly, that is why that's why I started this podcast is you know to have people relate to something that's, you know, going on in their lives. And I think you've touched on a lot of those things. I think, um, you know, what you've done and what you've gone through with infertility and, you know, your amazing adoption journey and, you know, changing your life and changing your priorities. I mean, really Mm -hmm. that happens at a certain time and it takes a little, you know, it takes some courage to actually say, okay, my priorities have changed. I'm going to follow that. I'm going to follow my heart and do, you know, what I feel like is going to be best for me and my family. It's not always easy. And it's always scary. scary. It can be terrifying. I remember moving here and not telling anybody we moved here because I was so afraid if the word got out, my phone would stop ringing for makeup jobs. And eventually, yeah. eventually it rings less and less and less. And I'm okay with it now because in the meantime, I, I was able to get a new degree. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, then you, then you care a little bit less and less because, you know, like you said, like we talked about in the beginning, you know, you're, you're comfortable with where you are and who you yeah. are and what and where your priorities are. Yeah. And, and the biggest thing um, I could tell people is don't let your identity become your career because then you'll cling to that career because you feel like it's your identity, but being a celebrity makeup artist, I didn't like that feeling that that's who everyone thinks. I, like, if I'm not that, are they still going to like me? Like, am I still cool? Like, you feel this like, oh, this is my identity. And it that's not your identity. It's a, a passion that you love that you're doing, but you're so much more than your what your career is. And you can change your career and people will still love you. Just do what makes you happy. Well, and that's such good advice. And I I, I definitely can relate to that. I had a career for a, a very long time. And when I when I made a change, it was very hard for me because mm-hmm. I realized that I had connected my identity to my career. Yeah. And it's and it's a very kind of scary place mm-hmm. to be when you realize that because it's almost you're almost thinking like that's ego. That's that's my yeah. ego, really, because totally. it's not really who I am as a person. It's yes how cool was my job and who, you know, and, and the things that I was doing and the things that I was accomplishing, like, is that all that made me interesting? Is that, you know, is there anything yeah. else that, you know, when you don't have that to talk about anymore and you don't have that, it's, um, you know, it's, scary. it's a very kind of scary place to be, yeah. but, you know, hopefully you work through it and, and yeah. um, I love what you've done and how you've worked through it. So thank, thank you, you again. Congrats, congrats so to you as well. Thank you, that Amy. Feel good.